Welcome to episode number 106 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and it'll just be me today for the podcast. I'm really excited because we're covering the Chemical Safety Board Dust Hazard Learning Review. This is a project that's been ongoing for over two years now. And what we're going to be doing these this podcast episode and the next podcast episode is reviewing the report, looking at some of the challenges that are taken from it, and some of the actions that we're going to be taking at Dust Safety Science and the other Dust Safety platforms that we're running in order to incorporate these into our, our mission and our vision moving forward. So I want to start off by saying a big thank you to you, the listener, to you, the community, to you that are, you that are involved in Dust Safety Science and our work. I actually started recording this episode intending to do one podcast session on it and realized that I really want to include more of the quotes, more of the information that was provided in the report, because those are quotes directly from you. And we'll, we'll talk a bit if you're, you know, kind of came into to the Dust Safety Science podcast after the Chemical Safety Board's project here. We'll talk about the timeline there. But suffice to say, a lot of you that are listening to this would have been involved in the original call to action. We'll talk about that, what that is in a second. But I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being involved, for contributing your thoughts to this larger project by the Chemical Safety Board, and to really help to drive this mission of combustible dust safety. So, yeah, I want to provide this episode as sort of a review of the report, a review of some of the feedback and comments that are in there, and then look at the challenges that can be identified from this work and the actions that we'll, take, we'll be taking moving forward. So in this episode specifically, we're going to talk about why was the call to action completed, what did the process look like and how was dust safety science and myself involved? We're going to pull out seven challenges from the report and then three actions that we'll be implementing across the dust safety platforms in the months and the weeks and the, and the years moving ahead. A couple notes, the report is quite detailed and it's really an interesting read because it takes a lot of the feedback from the community, finds the themes and concepts and categories from it and then provides those in the report. But it's quite big, so I'm not going to be able to cover everything in this podcast episode and furthermore, I'm going to give some review of the material in the report, but I'm actually going to be pulling out the challenges that I've identified and that my team here at Dust Safety Science has identified as key challenges in this area and actions that we're taking. If you read the report, you may not come up with the same challenge and actions. So this does not reflect you know, the thoughts of the report authors, which are uh, from Dynamic Inquiry, LLC, and this is Dr. Ivan Popoliti and Krista Vessel, who actually wrote the report along with the Chemical Safety Board. It's not the thoughts of the Chemical Safety Board. These are, are my thoughts and ideas on reading this and how that fits in with what we're seeing at Dust Safety Science. So I just want to put that disclaimer up front, that these are not the views of those groups or anyone in the report. These are really my personal views, myself and the team at Dust Safety Science. So I just want to put that out there. That being said, the way this report is structured, where it took feedback in from the community, really reflects back the views that you're having um, the people that submitted to the project are having at large. So my hope is that the challenges that I've identified and the actions that we're coming up with are then feeding right back into things that we need as a, a global community to reduce loss in industries handling combustible dust. So as I mentioned in the outset, this will be a two-part episode. It turned out to be just too long, too much material to cover to do it in one episode. And I'm trying to stay within the kind of half an hour range, short drive to work range for you the listener so you can get through these episodes on your on your drive or well, during your day going to the office or traveling to client sites. As always, you can download the transcripts of this podcast episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 106. And if you want to get involved with the actions that we'll be taking, the best place to do that is to go to the Dust Safety Academy 
and sign up there. You can sign up for free today, um, and you'll get to see what we're doing to address these issues around learning and sharing and, and all these things we're going to talk about in this podcast episode by getting involved with that community there. So I want to start off by talking about why was the call to action completed? So the call to action is the project, I guess, that was released by the Chemical Safety Board that provided the material for this report. Um, we will have the report, which is the Dust Hazard Learning Review. We'll have download um, links to that in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 106. This report was based on the call to action on combustible dust that was released by the Chemical Safety Board on October 24th, 2018. So this was during the Didium Milling investigation. They released a interim report on Didium Milling. They identified some challenges that they've seen during that investigation. And in the call to action, they actually identified how this relates to other challenges that they're seeing more broadly in industries handling combustible dust. So the first dust hazard analysis that they did um, and released, I think, in 2006, found 281 dust explosions between 1980 and 2005. This resulted in 119 workers being killed and 718 more being injured. They later then released the an update to the injuries, or update to the incidents, rather, and found another additional 105 explosions between 2006 and 2017, resulting in 39 fatalities and, and I have 3,030 injuries written here, but that can't be right. So we'll scrap how many injuries. It's Maybe it's 303 injuries that were found in that report. We'll have to pull that out. Um, we'll have links again to all these different reports from the Chemical Safety Board in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 106. The big point here is that they did these reports. They did individual investigations on Imperial Sugar, on West Pharmaceutical, on U.S. Inc., you know, all these different combustible dust um, incidents and actions and, and catastrophes and did milling and they found commonalities between these investigations and some of the commonalities or some of the you know they're all interesting commonalities but some interesting ones included the perception of the hazard and risk associated with dust explosions and this isn't necessarily even between one geography and another or one industry and another within the same building within the same room the same facility you could ask one employee you know, how much dust is too much, or is this, you know, room dusty, or is there a dust explosion hazard here? And you get completely different perceptions of the hazard and the risk associated with combustible dust, even with employees that work together every day after a dust explosion incident. So I'm going to read a quote here from the, at the time, interim executive director, I believe, at Chemical Safety Board, Kristen Kulinowski. Hopefully I'm saying that right. That was in the call to action. So it says our, and I'm quoting here, our dust investigations have identified the understanding of dust hazards and the ability to determine a safe level in the workplace has common challenges. While there is a shared understanding of the hazards of dust, our investigations have found that efforts to manage those hazards have often failed to prevent catastrophic explosions. To uncover why that is, we are initiating the call to action to gather insights and feedback from those most directly involved with combustible dust hazards. So that was the purpose. That's why they did the call to action, which was 11 questions that they released to get feedback from those that are directly impacted by dust explosions. So in terms of what the process looked like then, they sent out a survey with 11 questions. These included questions like, can a workplace be dusty and safe? How are the hazards communicated at your facility? Where are some challenges with dust collection, explosion protection, um, et cetera? There was a, a list of 11 questions. And again, we'll have links in the show notes to the original call to action and was originally given one month to respond. So they posted this on the Chemical Safety Board website. 
I believe they emailed it out to their email list as well. And originally, it was they were collecting responses till mid-November of 2018. They ended up pushing this back into early 2019 to continue to collect responses. So all told, there were 57 responses collected from 14 countries, from large organizations to health and safety specialists, to engineers, to consultants, to operators, but all working either in or with companies that are handling combustible dust or potentially combustible dust. So once they collected these responses together, uh, they did uh, an analysis and sense-making phase, and this work was completed by Dynamic Inquiry, again by Dr. Ivan Popoliti and Krista Vessel, who are two human factor specialists with experience applying these learning review processes in high-hazard and high-risk industries. So the goal was to make sense of the responses, but there's a really interesting aspect here of when you try to do this type of work where you're trying to collect themes and collect you know, categories from what is ultimately a qualitative assessment you need to be careful to avoid bringing your own personal biases into this type of assessment. So the way they did this was really interesting. They collected all the responses. They broke responses down into individual data points. So this might be, you know, an individual sentence. Uh, for example, a person says, you know, the problem with combustible dust is future dust accumulation. And we really have problems with our bucket elevators. And my new employees never get trained on it. That might be three separate data points from one response. So they collected all the data points from the responses, made them sort of randomize them and, and made them anonymous. And then they had a bunch of data points on thoughts and, and perceptions around a bunch of different aspects for combustible dust. They then took that data and organized them into themes and categories. And this was really an iterative process. So they went and, and I, haven't, I don't know, I, I wasn't involved in this process, part of the process. So I don't know exactly what they did, but from my understanding... They took the data points, they organized them in themes and categories. They had an iterative process with clarifying with, say, you know, research, regulations, literature, um, even going back to experts at the Chemical Safety Board and saying, you know, did we get this right? Developing the themes, seeing how the data points fit in, and it has sort of this iterative process of coming up with what overall is the, the overall themes, concepts, and ideas that come out of these responses. The outcome from this whole pro process then was a collection of high-level themes and categories with the responses themselves in each data point from the responses as supporting evidence um, or additional questions or main points for each of these. And this actually went into the structure of the report itself. So if you look at the report, and we'll talk about this more in a, a moment, but it has the kind of high-level themes broken out as the, the main headings in the report the categories under each theme, and then they have discussion of the, the categories, I guess, if you will, and how the data points, the comments from the people that uh, provide responses, how they fit in and bolster and challenge and question these different themes and categories that are identified. It's a really interesting way to do this, really interesting way to get an idea of overall, what are the perceptions of combustible dust? What are the gaps? What are the challenges that you, the, the listener to this podcast, and you, the people that submitted these comments, and I submitted comments uh, as well myself, were, you know, what is the perception that's out there for combustible dust? So in terms of our work, we got involved with the project pretty early. After the Chemical Safety Board did their first outreach, I had a discussion with Dr. Ivan Popoliti and um, Krista Vessel and the Chemical Safety Board team, basically said, this project is exactly what we need to understand and reduce loss from combustible dust incidents around the world. 
how can I help? <laughs> you know, I we have this platform, we have a podcast, we have a you know a newsletter sharing platform. Um, I'm here to, to help drive the understanding of this project and to help it um, basically succeed and, and provide as much input as we can. So we did a podcast episode on the call to action. This was actually ah, this is this is uh, good timing. This was episode six of the podcast, a call to action on combustible dust from the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. This was with Cheryl McKenzie and Dr. Ivan Papaliti. Um, and this is actually exactly 100 podcast episodes ago. I did not realize that before I clicked record, but sometimes these things happen um, live when you're on the recording. So exactly 100 podcast episodes ago, we had that call to action on combustible dust. So we published that out. But in addition to that, I also, from my my understanding and you know the feedback we've had from the community, I had a really good idea of how people might respond to these sorts of questions. So we actually, I created myself a cheat sheet that was more of a simplified version of the call to actions survey, but also had some free form fields that people could fill out. Uh, we emailed this out to the list at the email list at Dust Safety Science, so the community that we have there, um, the podcast listeners, and I actually emailed out almost an additional fifty people directly. And I remember because it was during my Christmas break of 2018, I was at my in laws' place. Um, this is pretty early in, in building out Dust Safety Science, and they they kept asking my my wife. You know what's Chris doing down in the basement? And she's she's basically I, I don't know. He said he's emailing people in in Africa and Europe and Asia on some project that he's working on. <laughs> so I basically was down there sending forty or fifty emails of the cheat sheet of the call to action of why I thought this was a pro- an important project for the global community. Out to the contacts that we had at Dust Safety Science, there were some really kind words in the Chemical Safety Board report of our involvement here, and the quality of the responses that were received, also the the variety, so the different kinds of groups that were involved. And those are all, again, this is why I want to say a big thank you to yourself as being part of this community, because it was your responses that made this whole project, 100 podcast episodes and, and two years later, even possible. So thank you for responding if you did. And even if you you didn't get a chance to respond, we may do something like this in the future again, and we'll we'll make sure to include you there as well. But that's how we were at Dust Safety Science included in this project overall. Once the responses were collected and sent to the Chemical Safety Board, either directly or some folks sent them to me and I sent a big batch. I didn't actually read the responses. I just took the the sheets that we created and sent them to the Chemical Safety Board. I didn't touch the project anymore after that. It went to Chemical Safety Board, went to Dynamic Inquiry. They worked on it. And I was just know what happened from reading the report now that just was released a few months ago. So I give you some idea on how the the call to action was run, how the project was run overall. I want to get into the the main categories and findings from the Chemical Safety Board report. And I want to pull out the the six critical challenges that I saw from reading the report. Again, these are my thoughts and my opinions, but there are I think big high level issues that we need to tackle as a global community. We're going to be using the dust safety platforms to to tackle these. So I'll probably make it through the first two or three challenges before closing out this episode and going to the next week's episode with the recording. But uh, I wanted to get through some of this you know, assessment of the report today. Again, you download the report itself at dustsafetyscience.com slash 106. Or if you Google the Dust Hazard Learning Review, we'll probably come up there. So after they collected all of these data points, did the analysis and sense-making phase, they had a set of themes and categories underneath each theme. Then they had the quotes as supporting evidence um, or questions or even conflicting points 
all around these different categories. So the high-level themes that they broke out that are in the report are barriers to improvement, controls, reporting, incident reporting, language and communication, learning, and sharing information. So I'll go through those in a little bit more detail. The subsections then give you, you know, the different uh, categories that they're looking at. So under barriers to improvement, they had normalization of risk as a challenge. And they had gold conflicts as a challenge. I'm not going to go through all of the controls that they identified because there's a lot, as you can imagine. We're a pretty control-centric group, um, us combustible us safety folk. So they had things around the hierarchy of controls, effectiveness of a compliance-based approach, dust hazard analysis, dust collection, housekeeping, and several other challenges that they had listed under controls. Under reporting, they had a number of aspects around um, incident reporting. So internal reporting is a challenge within companies and why. Why is it difficult to you know report up the chain, things that you're seeing near misses? Uh, the fact, and we'll get into this in a, in a little bit, the fact that you know you have to report a fatality, obviously. You have to report most injuries. But then where does that leave us for near misses? Do those ever get reported? Um, do employees feel safe and motivated to report? So that's all covered in that section. Language and communication was a really interesting theme. We're going to dive into this a little bit deeper later, but it was a really interesting discussion on how the words that we use may really help downplay the risks of combustible dust. And we'll talk about this in the challenges later on this podcast episode or in the next episode on, on next week's podcast. And the last thing was around sharing information. And they said this was the most requested challenge or most reported challenge from the group overall. This could be local sharing within a company. You know, are there incentives to share, are there drivers to share, or are there disincentives? Um, this could be sharing between companies, between industries themselves, between different companies in industries, between regulators and industries, between, you know, academia from research and industry. There's a lot of challenges here. In the end, there's a lot of requests for a global sharing platform and a global summit at least once a year which we had some feedback because we had the Chemical Safety Board present at our Digital Dust Safety Conference in February of last year that this was something that the industry was looking for and that the community was looking for. And that's really reflected how we built out the Dust Safety Academy and the Digital Dust Safety Conference that will be running next year as well. So those were the main themes, barriers to improvement, controls, reporting, language and communication, learning, and sharing of information were all identified as the high-level challenges that people talked about a lot in their responses. So again, this was a pretty big report. I want to go through the six critical challenges that I pulled out from reading it and kind of talk about those. The six challenges are awareness of the hazard and risk, safety as defined as absence of explosions, having a safe place to share information, language and communication, moving from training to learning, and breaking goal conflicts. So we'll talk about the first couple of those in this podcast episode, and then we'll come back next week in next week's podcast episode and talk about the rest of the challenges, as well as the actions that we're taking at Dust Safety Science to address those challenges moving forward. So challenge number one, and this is, you know, if you ask anyone, we'll say anyone on the street <laughs> that is involving combustible dust, this is the first challenge you always hear, awareness of the hazard and risk. I'm not surprised to see it in the Chemical Safety Board responses, or call to action responses in the Chemical Safety Board report. Some of the particular responses included... Statements like combustible dust should be a, rec a widely recognized hazard, just like any other workplace hazard. Most companies visited don't understand the volatility of their dust problem. If we have enough fear 
or respect for dust explosions, we will take action using fires as leading indicators. And workers are more aware of dust cloud explosibility from watching Mythbusters and not internal company training efforts. And I laughed when I read this one, but then I control F and searched myth, the word Mythbusters for the report. I think it's mentioned five times or something in this uh, this report. So a lot of people are getting their combustible dust knowledge from Mythbusters and the, the explosions that they're running there. There's a couple interesting things that came out of this awareness of the hazard and risk of combustible dust. And I'll, I'll talk about two of these specifically. So the first is normalization of risk. And there was a really good quote from one of the respondents that I'm going to read in full here. It's a little bit lengthy, but includes some really important aspects to this normalization of risk. So I'm reading the the quote in full. Dust explosions are rare events that lull industrial organizations into a false sense of security. While a greater level of recognition of these risks is present in industry than ever before, still far too many dust-related incidents occur as a result of ignorance or complacence. Because of the complex variables that must come together to enable a dust explosion, operations personnel are frequently unaware of the true likelihood of these events. While rare, they are frequently catastrophic when they occur. Often the original design of the equipment and safety processes of the operations are initially effective in at least reducing risk. And this is where we start talking about normalization of risk here. It's quite interesting. Let's go back into the quote. However, over time, I believe the process of practical drift occurs. Practical Drift was first proposed by Scott Snook in his book, Friendly Fire. He defined it as the slow uncoupling of practical of practice from procedure. His theory is that as people operate in an environment controlled by procedures, they're constantly acting to reduce effort and improve efficiency based on real-time results. With an infrequent event such as dust explosions, this iterative process can result in many iterations before the explosion occurs, allowing the system to change dramatically before the results of these changes are made known. I believe this theory is highly applicable to the prevention of combustible dust events. So that was kind of a mouthful of a quote to read, but it has some really important concepts here about how normalization of risk actually happens at the end of the day. There's actually another really great quote on this, and the way these are done, I can't tell if it's from the same individual or not because they've they've randomized all the data points. But this response says that safety is a non-event, Think of it as a control loop with a much-delayed feedback signal. Then the control loop starts to drift. Production is tangible and can take priority over safety. So this is really this normalization risk in action. I think of it like a a chess board or a chess game. If you're playing chess and you're on a timer, every time we have an incident, every time we have an explosion, it sort of resets the clock. Or even if we have a, a really educational push by one group or another, it, it resets the clock in that industry. But as soon as you make that move and the clock resets, it's counting down continuously. And as nothing happens, as you don't have incidents, then you're constantly drifting from work as planned. This is a, a term that's used from Dr. Ivan Puppelity and his other work, but work as planned and work as completed. And these constantly drift over time, especially if you don't have this feedback of a, a long-term, low-likelihood, high-severity incident they can drift quite a bit apart from each other. So even if something's operating when it's first installed correctly, everything's clean over time, You that system can be allowed to drift. It's hard to tell what the effect of things like fires are here because you think of a fire, well, that's a bad thing. It should you know tighten up the procedures. But if you see a fire every Thursday and no one ever gets hurt, it actually allows that system to drift even farther off course 
because then people aren't using fires as indicators to check back in and say, hey, you know, this is a problem. If you see a fire as a regular uh, part of regular work doesn't cause loss, then at the end of the day, that's actually only going to exacerbate the problem and make this this drift, this normalization of risk even larger. So those are some of the some really interesting parts of this awareness of risk. There's another concept here that's introduced, which is that of constructive paranoia. And the researchers in the the report uh, attribute this to Jared Diamond. I, I might call it constructive positive paranoia. We don't want people to be out there too paranoid and stressed out. But if there are positive pressures on them to say, hey, this is a, a what's the word I'm looking for? You, you actually want to have this sense of vulnerability around combustible dust. Whether you call it constructive paranoia or whatever you want to call it, if you have a sense of vulnerability, then you're going to drift a lot less than if you don't have a sense of vulnerability with combustible dust. And I'm beginning to see in some of the responses in this report, I've indicated this as well, that workers and managers and whoever is involved in combustible dust needs to see and understand the hazards in their own environment. Showing a you know an explosion pentagon as good of a tool as it is for engineering practicing control, you know, illustrating control methods, it really won't increase the sense of vulnerability. Seeing, you know, if you work on a wood chipper and seeing a dust explosion in a wood chipper, a video of that is going to be much more effective to increase the sense of vulnerability. So we'll talk about this a little bit later in the actions that we're taking, but moving from training to learning, which is another challenge that we identified or we pulled out of this report, we're going to be doing a lot more of this of trying to explain the hazards in their own environment. So if you have a manager, you need to think, how does this apply to the manager then um, and demonstrate the hazards, the outcomes, the fixes and the protection methods in that um, same environment they would be expecting to use them in so they see how it fits to them. It's constructive paranoia, the sense of vulnerability, and one of the answers that we're proposing for this and, and pulled out of the report was to, to demonstrate the hazards more vividly in the environment of the folks that are using them. We saw this before with Dr. Chris Bloor mentioned it in episode 40 of the podcast on how to run effective dust explosion training sessions. He says the most effective thing you can do is bring a, a blowtorch and actually do a small demo on site with their dust. That's a great way to demonstrate the hazards in their own environment. And then that increases and heightens that sense of vulnerability. But as soon as you do that, you hit that button again on the clock, on the chessboard, and the timer's counting down. So you need to do that every so often to uh, you know increase and, and keep that level of vulnerability high. Where's this go at the end of the day? I think a really interesting thing that we're trying to do with dust safety science is if we can have the sense of vulnerability and keep it high throughout the global community without having to have a large loss incident, that would be a great outcome from our work. You know, if we succeed wholly and we have no more dust explosions, then why do people care about combustible dust? So that's the challenge we actually have at the end of the day is how do we keep the sense of vulnerability up even when we're not having incidents? Uh, so I just want to dive into that a bit. I mean, awareness of the hazard and risk of combustible dust is obviously a challenge, but I want to dive into some of these ideas around normalization of risk, this constructive paranoia concept, how that fits in to maybe showing us some potential fixes down the road and things we can incorporate to our practices moving forward. So I think we have time probably to go through two more challenges and then we'll cut it off for this episode and talk about the last three challenges and the actions that we're taking in, in next week's episode. So challenge number two is safety. And it's actually interesting before I get into this challenge. These 
ideas and thoughts all really feed into each other. One feeds into the next, feeds into the next. But the second challenge is safety as identified by absence of explosions. So this obviously ties into, you know, awareness as a key challenge. This might manifest itself in, you know, statements like, well, no one's injured, so what's the problem? You know, if you have a near-miss accident like a, I don't know, a, a forklift tips over, that that probably hopefully would be reported, but, but maybe not, you know. If nobody's injured, then so what's the problem? That ties into this. And we've tried as a community to say, no, that's not the case. And at page 652 actually explicitly states, the absence of previous instance shall not be used as the basis for deeming a particulate not to be combustible uh, or explosible or not to perform a dust hazard analysis. But psychologically, I think we still have this challenge we need to overcome. Just because we stated that in NFA 652, which is a great thing to do, there's more work to be done there. One of the really insightful responses I we pulled out, and I actually just mentioned it a minute or two ago, was safety is a non-event. Think of it as a control loop with a much delayed feedback signal. Then the troll loop starts to drift where production is tangible and can take priority over safety. There's a couple things here that I think are really interesting to identify. One is that, you know, if you have a loss of life from a dust explosion, obviously it gets reported. And if you have an injury, depending on how severe it is, it probably gets reported as well. But there's no real drivers to report near misses unless you make that part of your culture in your company, or as thus we make it as part of our culture as the global combustible dust community to report those out. And there's a couple things here I'll talk about in a moment. One is an idea that I learned from David Murray in episode 98 of the podcast, The History of the Manufacturing Advisory Group in British Columbia, where he talked about serious injury and fatality potential and how they're using that as a key indicator to do their reporting for safety incidents. So this the idea of SIFP, they call it, S-I-F-P, is that we really need to understand the precursors. So anytime you have a near miss that had the chance, the potential to have injury and fatality, we really want to dive in and ask questions like, well, why didn't that cause an explosion? Why didn't that cause an injury or why didn't that cause a fatality? Those are really great questions. And the more times we can ask that question, the more we can move things ahead without actually only focusing on these these lagging indicators of loss and injuries. So there may be, you know, 50 times where you have a, a high SIF potential incident happen or near miss happen, but there may only be one actual incident or accident that happens. Um, and that scenario might even be, it might even more than, might be 101. So we can learn a lot more from these high SIF potential cases than we can from the actual fires and explosions that happen. So safety as defines absence of explosions is a real challenge here. We really need to come up with a better metric than just not having an injury as being the thing that we look at. Also from the report, they mentioned success in other industries has resulted from emphasizing learning rather than trying to regulate performance. They pointed to the Aluminum Association, they pointed to the National Grain and Feed Association as really getting involved with training and educating and fostering learning with their members, doing research and trying to learn themselves how combustible dust supplies in their industries, rather than trying to regulate the performance at the end of the day. I think this all goes back to tying into the safety as defined as the absence of explosions and allowing for more learning and more education in that space. So that's challenge number two. Challenge number three is having a safe place to share information. So this was an interesting one. It dove into 
the psychological reasons that people don't report near misses or even incidents and accidents when they happen. So I talked about time pressure, you know, looking bad in front of your peers, looking bad in front of your boss. Safety might just not be a priority. Maybe production's a larger priority. Competing goal conflicts. Many other, you know, psychological reasons or I'd say physical reasons, but maybe there aren't physical reasons why people don't report, like somebody's holding them. Um, But, you know, there's all these psychological reasons why people may not report and share information more broadly and allow for these learning opportunities. So there is a response here on this, um, and I'll read the quote. Current data on the number of explosions, fires, and near misses due to combustible dust is unreliable and surely underreported due to the perceived liability by end users in sharing this information with outside groups. This respondent also suggested the creation of a reliable reporting system, even if it means that the reports are anonymous, would be a huge step in helping industry to fully define the problem and work together on a solution. So I thought this was really interesting, and the same goes for you know incident reports being underreported, but also just fears, struggles, questions people have. If they have any of these things when they're actually doing their work, do they have the authority and you know do they have the incentive to actually stop work and say, hey, you know, I have some questions or, you know, this is a challenge or I saw this happen or we had a, a near miss incident. How do we go about creating that psychological safety so that people can do that? And actually, interesting point from the report, they say that the importance of having a safe place to share information was strongly recommended by by 37 different responses. So I don't know, I think that's 37 out of the 57 total responses said that um, having a safe place to share information was a, a really important aspect. It's really interesting to think of how can we do this as a, a global community moving forward. And we have some ideas on that that we'll share in next week's episode as well. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. And we covered the first half of this Chemical Safety Board Dust Hazard Learning Review, looking at the challenges and actions from the review of the report. We talked about why was the call to action completed? What did the actual process look like? And how was dust safety science involved? Uh, and we dived into the first three of the six challenges that I pulled out of the report. So challenge number one, awareness of the hazard and risk. Challenge number two, safety defined as an absence of explosions. Challenge number three, having a safe place to share information as a community and within your, your company and within your, your industries as well. So next week's podcast episode, or if you're listening to this in the future, just click next. Um, we're going to talk about the other challenges that, we, that are identified in the report. So language and communication moving from training to learning, and breaking goal conflicts. And we're going to talk about the three actions that Dust Safety Science and our platforms are taking to provide answers and provide solutions for moving forward through these critical challenges as a global community. So that's it for this podcast. You can get the transcripts of this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 106. Um, if you have any questions about the report, you can certainly email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com or if you have any comments on these challenges overall on this project. If you want to get involved with what we're doing uh, with the Dust Safety Platforms, the Dust Safety Academy is the the best place to do that. You can join free today. Um, Go to dustsafetyacademy.com and you'll be able to join there. And that's where we're actually going to be hosting some of these actions that we're taking moving forward inside that community so we can have this global approach to improving combustible dust safety overall. So that's it for this week. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer every day.